few times around our area. We've seen it happen in different churches. You'll have a pocketed the move of God. You'll have a real revival. You'll have a real repentance on the part of the church, and God will sweep in. But if you notice, it doesn't last very long. It only goes so long, and then all of a sudden, everything falls flat. And then what you do see is you see uh, people turning on each other. You see the church breaking unity and start to accuse each other of things that just don't matter. This is the reality of the church. And it seems like it's always happened. We went to Ellsworth years ago, and there was a great move of God in Ellsworth at the time. And I just rededicated myself. That was back in 97, 96. And um, so we came into church, and there was a real revival going on. I mean, just unbelievable. The love of God was shed every day. I, I was in tears every night. We would go to church. We went to church when church wasn't even open because we just wanted to be in church, wanted to be around the people of God. But we'd go, and, and the love of God would be poured out, and you'd feel the presence of God so heavy that I would cry at the altar, and I would feel so unworthy. But you, you, it, with God, it's so strange because at one point you feel unworthy before him, and at the same point you feel like you're so loved. And, and you're like, it's hard, to, it's hard to describe how you can feel unworthy and so loved at the same time. But we felt that all the time, and, and we would cry out before the Lord. And that went on for a couple of years. But in the midst of that revival, you had all this infighting. You had Christians turning on other Christians. You had people vying for position because the enemy was there to destroy the move of God. And I believe that's what he's trying to do here, and the move hasn't even really started yet. I believe the framework's been built for God to sweep in and when he sweeps in, his intention is to change you and I, to empower you and I, to bring us to our knees because when we are on our knees and we have become helpless and defenseless, then God says, now I can really do something here. When you put your arms down, when you put yourself down, when you stop worrying about what's going on in your mind, in your life, when you stop worrying about you trying to do something, then God says, I can finally work now. I can finally get something done because you let down your arms. And I think we're at that point where we need to let down our arms. We need to seek his face like we've never sought it before. We need to make him a priority. To say, God, I don't care that I've got this at 6 o'clock tonight. I don't care that Jim Bob wants me to meet him over here at this time and this day, and it conflicts with church, so I'm, I've, I've got to cancel church. We're past that point. And all those excuses we use, you know, and I'm not criticizing anybody. I just know this is the way it works. It's got to stop. We've got to get so serious that whenever these doors open, whenever there's something that we say, I'm going to go pray until I can't pray anymore. I'm going to weep before the Lord. I'm going to realize how far I've fallen I'm going to go when the doors open, and, and I'm going to pray until I can't pray anymore. If there's a Tiddlywinks contest, does anybody know what Tiddlywinks are? You say, I'm going to go, and I'm going to support that. I'm going to go, and I'm going to be there because I'm going to be with the people of God. And I'll tell you what, there's nowhere I want to be today other than with the people of God. 
And those people out there who say they're the people of God, don't believe it until you see it. Everyone's a person of God now. And in the meantime, they're protesting in the streets in rebellion. And I think that rebellion has spread to everyone's heart. That you step up and you, you got to make a stand and you got to put your fist in the air and, and fight the man. And, and you're not going to get anything done unless you do it. And that's a lie from hell. We don't act in rebellion. We don't have to act in rebellion. Because the battle's not ours anyway. And the Lord says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. I used to act in vengeance. I used to act in rebellion. And I didn't even know I did it. I just thought it was okay. I was defending the Lord. And the Lord showed me, he said, he smacked me first. And then he said, why are you defending God? God said, I can defend myself. And I used to get so much trouble because I would act in rebellion. And I, I thought, Lord, where is the rebellion coming from? And I didn't know it was rebellion. But when I was confronted with it and he showed me in his word, that rebellion was keeping me from his sweet fellowship. So we don't act like the world because that's how the world acts, is in rebellion. But in order to foster the spirit of God, we have to act in repentance. We have to act in humility. We have to act in gentleness, honesty. And he sweeps in. This might be a 20-minute more message. I don't know. But where are we? You know, we have to get real with what's going on. You know, it's like if you got a broken leg and you just refuse to acknowledge you have a broken leg, and so you walk around a little more, and it keeps getting worse. And you say, no, I'm good. Not going on. I'm all right. And then before you know it, the break becomes compound, and the bone's sticking out. No, I don't have that. It's not. It's fine. And you get in bed, and, and weeks go by, and all of a sudden, gangrene steps, sets in, and, and your leg's all nasty and gnarled. And, and nope, I'm good. And, and before you know it, the situation's got so wor much worse when if you had addressed it back here, It would have been all fixed up now. But we, we're like that, aren't we? We don't want to acknowledge what's truly going on in our lives. We'd rather play act and, and act like it's not going on because we don't want to address those things. And that's human nature, I think. But we have to get serious about what is the state we're in? What is the situation around us? What's the condition of my heart? What's the condition of the church? What's the condition of the world? Because it's probably worse than you think, unfortunately. I always want to make everything better than it is, you know. No, nope, it's fine. Hold my emotions in. Be stoic. You know, and then I get, it gets so far that I'm like, I, I break down because I'm like, oh, man, if I'd have just acknowledged this three years ago, and just acknowledged how I was feeling and what was actually going on, I, I could have addressed it and it wouldn't have been so serious, but now I've waited so long, it's real serious. And now I don't know even know what my emotions are because I've held them in so long. Instead of saying, Lord, reality here, what's going on? What's the assessment of things around us? How far have I fallen? We need to seek the Lord. We really need to seek the Lord together. 
we need to get used to repenting of sins that we've let in and we can say, well, I don't have those, I don't do those, but there's little things, you know. It's something simple. It doesn't have to be the Ten Commandments. It could be something, well, God has called me to pray, and I just don't do it. God has called me to get close to him, and I just don't do it. God has told me to put down that thing that's not necessarily listed as a sin in the Bible, but he told me to put it down, and I don't do it. And then we wonder, where's God? Because we have quenched the Holy Spirit so many times. So eventually the voice gets a little softer and a little softer and a little softer and a little softer and a little softer. And then finally he doesn't say anything to you anymore about that because you just aren't obeying or listening to him. And so we just need to repent and say, Lord, forgive me. I remember you told me to do it and I didn't do it. Lord, I want to hear your voice again. I don't know about you, but I, overall, everything I need today, I need him. I need his voice. I need his presence. I need to know that he's walking with me and talking to me. And I, I need to quit quenching the spirit. So I got to get serious. I got to repent. We used to experience the presence of God. And the reason we did is because we made God a priority over all else. We used to go to every prayer meeting. And what we need more than ever now, right now, is just prayer. We need more than ever, we need prayer. And we need real prayer. We need serious prayer. We need crying before the Lord prayer. You know, I think sometimes the Lord will get as serious with your situation as you are serious praying to him. Sometimes we get so lackadaisical, you know, and we pray simple prayers, you know, Lord, please do this. You know, I got to go, Lord, I'm busy, but please do this, it's in your hands. And he's like, no, I'm waiting on you to show me how serious you are. How long are you willing to wait? How long are you willing to stay on your knees before me? Because when you see every example of the Bible, it doesn't, it doesn't look like we look today. You know, everyone says, well, God just doesn't move like he used to move. God just doesn't do the things he used to do anymore because we're living in a different age, and that's not true. Because God's not doing the things he used to do because the, the people today don't look like the people they used to look like back then. You know, Daniel, he prayed before the Lord day and night. And Daniel was so steadfast and fervent in prayer that his knees were worn out. Another person that used to pray is James. James used to pray all the time. And they said there was reports of James when they found his bones, that the knees on his bones around the femur area were, were so worn out because he spent so much time in prayer that there was, there was like hardness in the bones from where he spent so much time on his knees. That's the difference. And I don't think we see the move of God because we don't have the prayers from the people of God like we used to have. I don't want to become the bless me club. You know, Lord bless me, help me, heal me. You know, and historically, God hasn't always done those things because he afflicts people so they will pray. And so sometimes 
You might be going through an affliction because the Lord's just calling you to pray. And all we're focused on is, Lord, get rid of the affliction, get rid of the affliction, get rid of the affliction. And the Lord's like, I gave you the affliction because I want you to pray. So stop focusing on the affliction and start focusing on me. You know, I feel bad sometimes. I feel like I become a wimp, you know. Because it's like, Lord, oh, arm hurts and achy and, you know, we make all these complaints, you know. This is wrong, that's wrong. And the Lord's like, would you shut up? Would you just shut up? And would you just spend time with me? You know, and we've made our problems God, really. Think about it. We've made our problems God because our focus has become such that we look at the problem and the problem is bigger than God. And when we're that focused on the problem, guess what? We just made an idol. We just made an idol out of our problem. As if God's not big enough. As if God wants you to focus on that and not him. And and we're, we're, we're torn from our foundation because of whatever has come into our lives. And we've allowed it to take us off of the foundation. And God's saying, are you so focused on the problem that you have left the foundation that I've given you to focus on me? Because isn't he bigger? Isn't he greater? Isn't he more worthy? We need to refocus. We need to refocus. I've had a burden. It's been a long time. And I think I've just tried to pass it off, let it go. Say, Lord, you're going to do it on your own, and I'm wrong. He's not. He's going to do it when we are ready for him to do it. And I'm going to go loosely through my sermon So forgive me if we're a little long today. But Nehemiah had a burden. And if you look at Nehemiah, you'll notice something really different about Nehemiah. Because I I believe Nehemiah was living in a day that we're like what we're living in today. I'm not going to read the whole passage. You can read it later. But just trust me. And I'm going to say a couple scriptures about it. But and for reference, if you guys want to look at it later, look at it's Nehemiah chapter 1, the whole chapter. But Nehemiah is moved by the fact that Jerusalem is completely devastated. The walls around Jerusalem have been broken down. Thieves go in and out. Murderers go in and out. It's a place of desolation. It's a place that has been completely decimated because the people who lived in Jerusalem became so godless. It's so sinful. And so all the walls are torn down because every invading army tore them down. But it wasn't the invading army that ultimately did it. It was God lifting his hand from Jerusalem, saying, by your sin, you've allowed the enemy to come in, and I've taken the hedge about you away. And so every invading army came in and decimated the city. And the city to Every Israelite, every Hebrew was the presence of God. That's what the city stood for. To them, when they thought about Jerusalem, they thought about the presence of God that dwelled in Jerusalem. 
And so for them to look at the city and see that it was completely decimated meant to them that the presence of God has left. And when the presence of God leaves, everything else comes in. Every sin, every depression, every awful thing you can think of comes in when the presence of God leaves. And that's what's happened in Nehemiah's day. And so what's Nehemiah's response to this? Does he say, you know what, let's go uh, put a party on. Let's go hold a, a, a fake meeting and pray for people's knees and, and arms and legs. And not that that's bad, but, you know, that, that wasn't the time. It wasn't the time for that. And Nehemiah knew it. And so this is what it says in Nehemiah 1.4. It says, And it came to pass when I heard these words about the condition of the city, I sat down and I wept and I mourned certain days and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. And what Nehemiah is saying is, I knew the seriousness of the situation. And I weeped. I wept. I cried. When's the last time you cried? Honestly. When's the last time you looked around and it moved your heart? And you just thought, I cannot stand to look at this anymore. I can't stand the condition of the church. I can't stand the condition of my city. I can't stand the condition of the world. I can't stand the condition of the sin I see that I also see in my own heart. Because I think that's what gets me sometimes as I look around and I see all the sin going on and I'm thinking, oh. But what really gets me is when I understand that the same sin resides in my heart too. And I'm like, Lord, I want your holiness but sometimes I act unholy. When's the last time you wept? And you said, Lord, I don't want that anymore. I want your righteousness. And so Nehemiah, he sees this. And he weeps, he mourns, he fasts, he prays before God. And what's funny about Nehemiah is in his understanding he understands his own heart, and he says this in Nehemiah 1.7. He says, we, we have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept thy commandments nor thy statutes. So he understands that he's not pointing the finger saying, look at them, look at them. He's saying, look at me, look at we. We've fallen, Lord. We've fallen. In a day like today, <clears throat> the church should be so fervent. In a day like today, the church should be so full. The church should be so humble before the Lord. The church should be so mobile with what the Lord has told it to do. And so we have to look at ourselves and go, look, Lord, we repent. We repent. We have dealt corruptly with you. We haven't trusted you. We haven't believed that you're going to, you can fix it, Lord. We haven't waited on you to fix it. <clears throat> we just stepped back and said, they're bad, Lord. The world's bad. But Nehemiah looked at himself. And he said, we have dealt corruptly with you, Lord. And we repent. When the walls come down, when the enemy attacks, Everything comes in. Everything comes in. And the walls have been torn down. 
the walls have been torn down. <clears throat> he reminds God about his promise after that. Because God gives us promises, and I think sometimes in the church we forget the promises of God, but we forget also that there's stipulations to the promises of God. That they don't just happen. God's not a candy giver, you know. He's not one of those people that just gives you candy all the time. You know, he, he says, I will bless you. But then he puts a stipulation, if you do this. And, and so many times in the church today, we, we have heard so many messages on love, 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 love. Love, love, bless, 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 bless. But we haven't understood that God will move and he will fulfill promises when we fulfill our part of the obligation. But if we don't, he won't. And so we forget that. And so we come in every week and we think, Lord, where are you? Why aren't you fulfilling your promise? Lord, you said... Lord, you, you said this to me, you said that. And then we, we, get, we get kind of upset when something doesn't happen or we get confused when all this, these things are going on. But we haven't kept our part of the bargain to say, Lord, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Lord, I will bring my life back according to your word. Lord, I will repent of that thing that I keep going back to and I'm going to stay away from it. Because if it, if it keeps getting to me, Lord, I'm going to cut it off. Because God's really, Jesus is really serious. You know, when he said, he said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. And that's how serious he was about it. You know, he's not going to, if you're saved, he's not sending you to hell. But he will restrict things from your life. Because how can he put something if you're in your life when there's something in the way of where he wants to put it? You ever thought about that? He's not going to build you a new building if you got an old dilapidated shack sitting out on your ground. But when you say, Lord, I'm clearing the land. I'm taking away the old shack. I'm, I'm going to light it on fire. And then I'm going to put a new foundation here, Lord. Then he'll come along and he'll place this brand new mansion in that place but it takes the clearing first and so that's why jesus says if it if it causes you to sin pluck it out get serious with it well i have to be on the internet because all my friends are there you know and i i've got to see what what jim bob said about him and and i and i got to keep communication and and and, and all the lies come you know fast and furious you gotta 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 but the word says pluck it out and so sometimes we got to get serious enough to go, the blessing of the Lord's not coming because I haven't plucked it out of my life and decided I'm done. I don't care if I used to do it. I don't care if it makes me feel good. I don't care if Joel said it was the way I should do it. The Word of God said no. And so I'm plucking it out, getting rid of it. And with me plucking it out, God honors that and says, now I'm going to fulfill my promise in your life. My family was never restored, and we were going through serious, serious problems. We don't share all that, but we went through serious problems. And nothing changed until we decided that we weren't going to do certain things anymore. And then when we decided that, we started seeing blessing. We started seeing refreshment. We started seeing renewal. We started seeing revival. 
But it took us moving first. It took us eradicating things first. It took us taking a stand and saying, no more, no more will I do that. Nehemiah says to the Lord, he says, remember, in verse 8 and 9 of chapter 1, he says, I beseech thee. He says, remember, I beseech thee. And what he's saying is, I'm serious, Lord. I plead with you. I, I, I Remember, Lord, the word that you commanded Moses, saying, if you transgress, I will scatter you among the nations. He's quoting back the word of the Lord to, him, to the Lord. But you said, Lord, if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out in the uttermost part of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place. Unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Sometimes we want to just concentrate on the fact that the yet, and God saying, yet I will. But we forget the part where he says, though you were cast. And so when we find ourselves cast away, you know, God's a God of love. He's a God of love. But in his love, for our own good, sometimes he casts us away to certain places. And the reason he does it is because he wants us to understand how much we need to be back with him. How much we need to be back to that place in his arms, in his blessing. And that's love. And we've mistaken love today. Everyone talks about love. I'm so sick of hearing about love in a sermon. I, I, I know God loves us. We, he loves us and we need to hear it. But love isn't something that covers us and does everything for us. It's not. That's not love. If you have a child and you put your child aside and say, no, don't do that. I'll take care of it for you. Don't get your own food. I'll take care of it for you. Don't you do that. I'll do it. Don't you. You will kill the child. You will spoil them to death. You will make them, what's the word? Capacit incapacitated for life. They won't be able to function when they get out of the house because you've done everything for them. That's not love. But love sometimes says, you go do it and you fail. I'm correcting you. I'm sorry I have to do this, but I'm casting you away for a time because this isn't right. I'm setting you outside the house because we no longer allow that in the house. And I'm doing this because I love you. Because if you keep going that way, you're going to harm yourself. And then you pray. That's love. That's love. And so sometimes God casts us away so we'll understand that we need him. And that we need to be around him. And that his ways are, are greater and his ways are the ways that we need in our life. That's love. So Nehemiah prays. He realizes he needs to confess his sin. And I, I'm not saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. That's not what I'm saying. But to get specific with the Lord and say, Lord, I failed right here. I failed right there. I did this yesterday. And Lord, I don't want to do it anymore. Lord, I keep doing that. It's too easy to go, Lord, I'm just a sinner. We need to get specific. Because when we get specific, God gets specific in his cleansing. So Nehemiah got serious and he got specific. 
and he confessed his prayer. And he realized that he needed to turn back to God. He realized the nation needed to turn back to God. The church needed to turn back to God. And we can't accomplish it without prayer. There's no way. Serious prayer. We're not going to do it. We're not going to get through what we need to get through as a church. I can't do it on my own. I'm maxed. I'm I'm taxed. I'm tired. Spiritually drained. I I can't do anymore. I'm just being honest with you. It's not up to me. It's up to us. I'm not meant to carry the church. My kids and wife aren't meant to carry the church. But the church has to fight in unity and strength. The church has to become the church. The church has to get serious and realize that every function of the church doesn't rest in one person. It doesn't rest in one family. It rests in, on your shoulders. The function of the church is to be the church. It's a body. And there's so much to get done, but we can't get it done unless we decide, you know what, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to be involved in every prayer meeting. I'm going to get on my face. I'm going to get serious. I'm going to come in and seek the Lord with everyone else. I'm going to let down all my, my crusty exterior and my false pretenses and, and, and what I think everyone, everyone should see how I am, and, and I'm going to let all that crap go. And I'm going to get on my knees before the Lord, and I'm going to wait on Him. And I'm going to seek him until I can't seek him anymore. I'm not going to leave the altar until God comes to me and says, okay, it's okay to go. But until that happens, I'm sitting right here and I'm waiting. And I'll tell you that we've been coming over here some nights by ourselves. And we've been waiting on the Lord. And at first it was hard because we didn't feel anything. You know, and it's not that you have to feel anything, but you should get an unction from the Lord. That's, that's normal. You should be met sometimes with God's presence when you wait on him. And so when we started doing it at first, I didn't feel anything. And it, it was me because I had become so closed off. But after a while of us doing it in obedience and just waiting, the Lord started to show up. The Lord started to move. The Lord started to speak. And it wasn't that he had never been speaking, but I hadn't been receptive to hear him. But he started to speak to us. And where I felt like giving up, and many times I feel like giving up, he comes to me and says, no, you're not. You're not giving up. You're not giving up because I haven't told you to give up yet. But the presence of the Lord is what we need. And it's all I needed. We look for so many different things to appease and fulfill us. And, but all you need is the Spirit of the Lord. All you need is the presence of the Lord. It's so fulfilling. And so for us to get through what we need to get through, because everything, I'll be honest with you, everything we need to get through is so spiritual in nature. We're not fighting anything that's physical. But we are fighting nasty forces of hell. And when you get up here and you, you get a sermon ready and you pray for people, it's all you can feel are forces of hell. It's all you can feel is opposition. And it comes out in all these little different ways. It could be you pass somebody on the street and you think, surely they're not going to say anything to me that's going to hurt me in any way. And you pass them on the street and they'll turn their head the last second. What's your problem? You know, you're in that church over there, you know, you, you, and you're not, you, I'm not saying it against anybody, but I'm just saying you, you, it, it will hit you in the most 
odd places that you didn't expect. And it'll happen like 50 times throughout the day, and you're like, what is going on? Ah, hate them. I do that. You know, you get mad. And, but then you realize, wait a minute, something's going on here. And I'm not going to fight it with my mouth. I'm not going to fight it getting on Facebook and posting something. I'm not going to fight in any other way, but it is a force of hell that's coming against the purpose of the church. And the only way you're going to fight it is by consulting the Spirit of God and allow the Spirit of God to move in you, through you, around you, to refresh you, to cleanse you, to find every little space in your soul, in your, in your mind, in your heart that He wants to get rid of because He needs you steadfast in prayer. We need prayer. We need serious, searching, seeking prayer in this church. And it can't be me and three more. It's got to be everyone determining. I'm going to go soak in the Lord. I'm going to go get on my knees. I'm going to go seek, seek him until I find him. I'm going to wait upon God. I'm going to just, if I have to get in the altar and say, I need you, Lord, I need you, Lord, I need you, Lord, I'm, I'm going to wait on him. Because that's the only way it's going to happen. We need to take this area for Christ. We need salvations from other people. Not because we, we want to check mark on our, our, you know, what's that old thing they used to do? Sunday school, you got a little ribbon every time you came. I don't care. I'm, com I'm coming regardless. I don't need the little thing, you know. I, it's not about that. But in order to take the land and in order to revive the church, we're going to have to get in this altar and get serious. We're going to have to let go of some of that junk that has become an idol to us. We're going to have to let go of some of those things that we say to ourselves at 7 or 30 or 8 o'clock at night. Oh, I can't go out. You know? Or, you know, I don't want to be around anybody right now. Or all that junk that comes to your mind. All the excuses we've used to not be in prayer and to not be serious. They have to go. Because we need to get serious. But the, the greatest thing in life, the greatest thing in life, especially if you are a true believer, the greatest thing in life you're ever going to have, it's not, I'm sorry, it's not your family, although your family's awesome. It's not your wife or your husband, although they're awesome. But the greatest thing in your life is the presence, spirit of God. That's it. That's it. And how much greater would it be if you took the time to enter into that and saying, Lord, since that's the greatest thing in my life, I'm going to make it a priority and I'm going to seek you until you speak to me. Jacob got serious with God. He got real serious with God. And Jacob was a deceiver. He was a mush-mouthed little punk. You know, he deceived his brother and thought he would, you know, get the inheritance and the blessing, you know, and he did it his way. And, but in the midst of him being like that, he realized that God was his only answer in life. And when he was confronted with the presence of the Lord, he hung on to the presence of the Lord and said, I'm not going to let go unless you bless me. I'm not going to let go. I, I know who you are, and I'm going to have all of you. And so he, he hangs on 
to the angel of the Lord, which is Jesus Christ, and says, I'm not letting go until he wrestles with the angel of the Lord. When's the last time you got in the altar and you decided, I'm going to wrestle with the Lord until he speaks to me, and I'm not letting go. I'm not letting the fact that it's mealtime make me get up and go. I'm not letting go of the fact that, geez, I, I got, you know, I got to go fix the bathroom. I don't know. Who, who knows what it is? But we have so many excuses. We'll come here for five minutes and then we'll go. But when's the last time you decided, I'm not letting go until I enter into the presence of the Lord? I'm not letting go until I hear from you, God. I'm not letting go until you release me. I'm not making excuses anymore. We need prayer. And what we need to do can't be accomplished without it. I don't want to see the church decimated like every other church. I don't want to see the church's mission totally deleted because we decided that we weren't going to pray. Because that's what will happen eventually. You know, and I don't want to see that happen. But I'm ready to spend time with him. Even if we came in and we didn't say a word. Even if we just came in and and everyone was silent, and we just decided, I'm just going to sit here. And I'm waiting, and I'm praying, and I'm seeking. What would happen? What would happen if he started moving? He started healing, and he started giving you a word of direction. And he started giving you a word of, uh, of, of uplifting about the situation you're going through because you took the time to spend with him. We've lost the art of waiting on him. We've lost it. We need to get it back. We need to pray. Nehemiah got serious. He took stock of what was going on. He was real with himself to say, something's wrong, and i got to pray. Something's wrong, and I don't know what to do. See, Nehemiah didn't, wasn't sitting in the king's palace going, hey, I'm going to rebuild the wall. He didn't say that. All he saw was the, the destruction. And he said, not I'm going to rebuild the wall. He said, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. And after he prayed, then he got the direction. He had no idea what to do. He had no idea that he needed to assemble this vast building army to rebuild the wall. And the way they were going to do it, because they had so much opposition, is they were going to have a a, a shovel in one hand, a pickaxe in one hand, and a sword in the other. And on one hand, they were going to rebuild the wall, all while the fact that they were just fighting off the enemy at the same time. He had no idea. See, that was given to him later, but he started with the fact that I just need to get on my face and pray. I need to get on my face and pray. And so when we pray, that's when we're going to get the understanding of what to do. So many people come to us and they go, I don't know what to do. I don't know what God's will is for my life. You know, I, we hear that a lot. I don't know what God's will is for my life. I don't know what to do. You prayed? Ah, I prayed. I just keep praying. Have you waited on the Lord? Have you dedicated yourself to silence before the Lord? Well, no. There's stuff to do. Well, what do you got to do? Well, I got to make dinner for the kids. And how old are your kids? They're 25. Oh, they can make dinner themselves. You got to, 
No, I'm just kidding. But, but what are we putting in that place? Because we come up with excuses all the time. But God needs to be a priority. And his presence needs to be a priority. Because what he has for us is impossible. Completely impossible without prayer. But impossible things happen through prayer. I would love to have a prayer meeting and we pray for hours. Pray for hours. We seek the presence of the Lord. The Lord shows up. Because you do get the manifest presence of God. I'm sorry, you do. And you'll get such a a love come over you like you've never felt before. You know, you know God loves you because his word says it. But through the presence of the Lord, have you felt it? Have you understood it? Even a little bit. Because when we gather, that happens. But what if we did that and we prayed for as long as it took? And we came in the next Sunday and all of a sudden five people came to the door and said, I just need to give my heart to the Lord. What would that do for us? How would that make us feel? Would we be like, who are they? Or would we be, praise God, praise God. Are we ready for that? Are we ready to see that? Nehemiah is a cupbearer for the king. He's a cupbearer for the king. He is locked into the king's chamber. The king needs him because if the king didn't have a cupbearer, then the king would be poisoned and probably die. So Nehemiah's job is to check the food, taste it, make sure that it's not poison for the king. So it wasn't a light thing for the king to go, you know what, Nehemiah, go and take care of Jerusalem, leave for miles, and, and uh, matter of fact, I'm going to pay for you to do it. I mean, this is an opposing country. But through prayer, what was seemed to be impossible all of a sudden becomes possible because the king... And to Nehemiah says, Nehemiah, go, and I'm going to commission you, and I'm going to promote you. Matter of fact, I'm going to give you wages to go and rebuild that wall. And so what was impossible and seems impossible all around us, you know, I'll tell you how impossible it is. Sometimes I go to people, and I, they'll, they'll come up to me, and they always feel guilty. Some people do, and they'll, they'll say, hey, how's church going? You know, and I'm like, yeah, it's going good, you know. And I was going to come, but I... Uh, just didn't have time, and you know they tell me they give me that whole speech. You know, eh, that's fine. I, you know, I'm not you know, nothing up to me, man. You know, it's fine. But sometimes it seems impossible to get people to come, and I, I don't. They don't need to come. I mean, I want them to come. I can share the gospel with them there, and I do. But how it seems impossible to get them to come. But that impossibility can be made possible when we spend time in prayer. Because it's not us convincing them, it's the Spirit of God that will come upon them and convince them and convict them that you need to be in the house of God. And the impossible becomes possible because we sought God. And so Nehemiah seeks God, and then the impossibility all of a sudden becomes possible because God convinces the king to commission Nehemiah to go and repair what Satan has tore down. The king who doesn't know God, matter of fact, he probably was serving Satan, all of a sudden has a change of heart and he commissions Nehemiah to go and do God's work. The impossible becomes possible. When we seek God, we get strength. Nehemiah 6, 9. I'm going to stop here in just a minute. 
But you know, I, I, I could spend time all day. I mean, you know what? That's another thing. You know, we used to go to the house of God, and, and I didn't care if we were there four hours. We weren't like, hey, man, I got to get out of here. I gotta. You know what? We used to spend time. We would just sit there. And we were there for three, four, five, six hours. Sometimes we were there all day. We would go in the morning. We'd go till about one. You know, and when I say morning, we were at nine o'clock. And we'd get done about one. We'd go grab something to eat quick. We'd come back, and then we'd be there all night. And we just wanted to be there. It was like, what, what do you go after this? You know, you go home, and you go to Jim Bob's house, and there's no presence of God there. But we used to go and spend time with God. And it was like, man, I don't want to be anywhere else. What am I going to miss if I leave? We just wanted to be there. But we would stay in the presence of God, in the place of God, with the people of God, because what's better? What is better? I think sometimes we get so quick to go, oh, Jesus, we're going to go. I'm going to give me something to eat. You know, but what's better than being in the presence of God with the people of God? But what if we had that, you know? I just want to be in here. I just want to hear the word. And you could listen to the word for hours because in the presence of God, that's all you want to just feed me, Lord. But we get so quick to go, and then what do you do? You turn on some secular radio station and you listen to the devil's music all the way home. Think about it. And you're like, man, I don't know why I feel like junk. I just want to be in the presence of God. You know, what I, you'll turn on the TV. It doesn't compare to being in the presence of the Lord, to listen to the word of God. What strengthens our spirit? You know, sometimes our diet is just not right. It's like that little kid that was in the sandbox, you know, and he uh, was eating sand, a little girl, eating sand, you know. And the dad's over on the other side of the park and, he goes and he, this little ice cream truck goes by, you know, and he's like, oh, I'm going to bless my little girl. And he goes and he buys this ice cream cone from the ice cream truck, and he runs over and finds his little girl and goes in the sandbox and realizes she has this whole thing of sand in her mouth. And he's like, what are you doing eating sand? And I've got ice cream right here. And so many times we leave the church and we go out and we fill our mouths full of sand. And God's like, I'm still here at church, and I've got ice cream for you. And we're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, so much better. But in the presence of God, seeking God, he gives us strength that we need because we don't have it. Everyone wants to be big and bad today. Everyone wants to make a statement and throw their fist in the air and, and I'm strong. And, and usually the people that say that are the weakest people that you ever want to meet. The ones that claim to be strong, are usually the weakest. Even though they look strong, they look big, something's going on there. For them to have to proclaim their strength, something ain't right. That strength's not going to get you anywhere anyway. And as we get older, we all realize that. You know, we're not that strong. We're not as strong as we used to be. We can't lift what we used to lift. And we have to come to grips with our weakness. And well, God, where are you? And he's like, I'm in your weakness because I'm giving you my strength. But the strength that we need comes through the prayer, comes through the weeping before the Lord, comes with the realization of who we are and why we need him to begin with. 
But Nehemiah, he says this in Nehemiah 6, 9. He says, for they all made us afraid. All the, the enemies made us afraid. All those people that were coming against us made us afraid. And they said this, their hands shall be weakened from the work that it be not done. So all the naysayers are around us saying, you're never going to do it. The work will never get done. You can't do that. And you know what? We listen to it. We believe it. And this is what Nehemiah says. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands. See, he's the one that gives us the strength we need, but we can't get that strength if we don't go to him, if we don't spend time with him. Because we'll overcome the opposition when God strengthens us after we spend time with him. And everything will come against us. Everything will come against you. The fact that you even come to this church, everything's going to come against you. Everything's going to set you at naught for what God has for you to do. It will. It just will. Opposition will come. And it'll keep getting worse. And that's why we need to keep getting more serious and more serious with God in prayer. In Nehemiah's day, the name of the opposition was Sanballat. In our day, the opposition could be anything. Opposition's been many things, to tell you the truth. And they are bent on one thing, and they don't even know it, and that is the destruction of the church and God's purpose. And everything will come against what we're doing. Everything will come against the fact that you decided to spend time here. Everything is going to come up in, in disagreement with you spending time with the Lord. You'll think of 3,001 excuses why you shouldn't. And you need to take note and say, this is happening because I decided to come in harmony with the Lord and to go pray and spend time with Him. Opposition will come and the voice will be very loud and the voice will be convincing. It'll be very convincing. Sanballat, who was a, a guy in Nehemiah's day, he was a representation of Satan and his name actually means fallen branch. Fallen branch. And so every force of hell will come against what you've decided to do. Every force of hell will come against the fact that you decided to pray and wait and seek God until he told you to get up and leave. It'll try to discourage you. It'll try to get you to give up. It'll try to get you to come in disagreement with what was preached. But it'll come against you. It'll come against me. It has come against us. God provides the strength we need, though. We don't listen to the voice of the enemy. We don't listen to the voice that's contrary if there's a voice that brings you out of unity, now it's different. If I preach something out of the word, it's not right. Then come to me and say, hey, that's, that's not what I remember. That's not what I think. That's not whatever. And I'll sit down with you, absolutely. But when it just comes against unity for unity's sake, it's not right. And so the enemy will fight against unity against all odds. Satan never gives up. And I'm getting ready to close here in just a second. But Satan never gives up. In Luke 4.13, when he came to Jesus Christ, it said Jesus went through a temptation and then Satan left him, what's it say, for a season. And what that means is Satan didn't just leave him and say, hey, I'm backing off a little bit. Satan left him and says, now I'm going to double up. I'm going to do this thing 50 times harder than I did before because that didn't get him. And that's what he does. And so we know he comes against us. But when we hold fast to God in prayer, when we decide I'm going to be like a bulldog and I'm never going to let go, I've made my decision and I'm sticking with this decision. When we get that 
serious in our decision about being in prayer and being seeking God continually, then Satan won't prevail. He will not prevail. We need to allow ourselves to be burdened with what's going on. We need to allow ourselves to be burdened with our own lives. We need to pray, serious prayer. We need to make being in prayer together a priority. And we need to see and watch for God to move. And we need to see his will accomplished with what we're doing here. Because we're not just coming in here to be blessed. We're not just coming in here to have a community center. We're here to be a church. And the church has a mission together. I need you guys to be involved. I need you to be ready to do whatever it is that needs to be done. We can't be a church that sits back. But we have to be a church that says, I'm going forward and I'm doing what needs to be done. I will answer the call. I will move. I will act. I will be. Because salvation will result when we do it. The presence of God will result when we do it. The refreshment of God will result when we do it. Everything that you read and you longed for is waiting to happen. But it takes that commitment. It takes that decision. And we can be confident of this, that we're not waiting on God to join us. We're not waiting on God to join us. But we're deciding that we're going to join God. You see, because God's already moving. He's already made a plan. He's already made a decision. He's just waiting for us to come into agreement with it and to move as he moves. And then we're going to experience something that maybe we've never experienced before. How would you like to come to church? And when you left, you thought, I don't want to leave. I don't want to get out of there because God's in there. God, something's happening. God is speaking to me. God is convicting me. God is renewing me. God is refreshing me. And I don't care if I die today. I'm happy. I'm full of joy. I'm full of the peace of God. I've been changed. How would you like to leave service like that? Because this can happen. And I believe it will happen. We're entering into a new phase. It's new. Are you going to join him? Are you going to join him? Stand with me. I just want you to take a minute and I want you to ask the Lord just to speak to you. I'm not going to pray any specific way because I think the Lord's already spoken to you. But I want to ask you to, to ask Him to speak directly to your heart.
What is he saying to you today? Father, we love you and we praise you, Father. Forgive us, cleanse us if we determine to seek you. We love you, Father. We need you. We're desperate for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.